Hey sibling, welcome to the Unmasking Unschool podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Shirey, aka Solar Flare. We are all solar flares, defying the gravity of groupthink, beaming frequencies that disrupt the airwaves. And in this podcast, I share perspectives and reframes from the solar system, a liberatory framework for creative autistic folks who are seeking another way to see, know, and be yourself. You are not here to fit in and the radical reimagining of how to honor all of who you're here to be begins within. In this week's episode, I'm sharing with you an interview I did with the gorgeous, generous, visionary soul that is Opal Turner. I featured on their podcast, Rebel With A Cause, and this was my first time being a guest on someone else's podcast, and it's going to be hard to beat, I'll be honest. Opal asked some really juicy questions, we cried, we laughed, and I felt truly held and seen, and I believe it was mutual, and my hope is that you also feel seen as you listen in. Enjoy. Welcome to the Media Camp Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we are talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science and logic. It's my pet theory that strategy and planning can be a creative secret weapon and vice versa, and that we overly separate the disciplines in our industry. Today I'm super psyched to be talking with Louisa Shirey, an artist-turned-coach. Louisa has created The Solar System, a coaching method to help autistic folks to their own self-clarity, self-acceptance and self-directed lives. Thank you so much for being here, Louisa. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Opal. It's really an honour and I love the premise of this podcast, so I can't wait to talk to you. So excited because partially I'm very biased because I and my partner, like most creatives, it seems, am neurodivergent. So I just I just can't wait to get into all of this delicious information. So let's start with learning a bit more about you. Can you just kind of top line for us um, a bit about your journey and how you've got to where you are with the solar system now? Yeah, so I've been doing this for three and a half years now after more than a decade of working as an artist in the visual art industry and I think the journey probably begins age 16. I had just had a breakdown in secondary school after years of masking depression, disassociating my way through and I'd asked the school counsellor how to be myself and share that I didn't know how to be myself and she told me that who I was being was in response to in her words, a toxic environment. So just for, for, for you all to know, this is a girls' grammar school in Kent. Um, but yeah, it was a very um, a kind of competitive hotbed of popularity and achievement. And so, yeah, she opened up this possibility that who I was being and how I was feeling wasn't all of who I am and that there were possibilities outside of that and beyond my social environment and that there was more to me. And so, yeah, that really, uh, I think, is the flavour of everything that I'm doing now in terms of imagining beyond the systems that we're in and, um, you know, who else could we be when we're not in reaction to what doesn't work. So, yeah, after that experience, I went on a healing journey. I found Jungian astrology. This was like late nights on my parents' computer. 
accessing the internet and learning about shadow work, meditation, movement, and then really going deep into art as a way of just moving through stuff and finding my own voice, understanding what I'm about, who I am. And I ended up moving to London, studied art, um, and started working on advertising shoots to get through uni without having to work late nights in bars. And then after a couple of years after graduating, made the leap into the art world, started working as an artist leading workshops um, with galleries like Tate Modern, Whitechapel. And I got a contract at Tate Modern to deliver part of their school visits workshops. And it was in one of those workshops that a specialist school, an autistic specialist school, came it was a group of 13 to 14 year olds and it was in that moment all the possibilities and ways of being that I'd been trying to articulate in my work that I'd been trying to create space for in my workshops was just being embodied by these very well supported teenagers who were being themselves they weren't all the same and in that moment I saw myself in them and them in me and so, yes, this is more than a decade ago, and that really kick-started a whole journey of, am I autistic? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my work, my creativity? And I could see a lot of the connections between everything that I was trying to explore, the kind of sublinguistic, embodied modes of expression that, that I was working with, and what I think is a, a neurodivergent or autistic way of sense-making um, I could really see the links. So that led me into residencies with neuroscientists, autism researchers, got to walk into the liar's mouth and be the subject in question. And yeah, I used that to really um, explore access needs and, and politicizing my presence within these scientific spaces. And yeah, really came out of that with a lot of clarity, finding a lot to embrace, finding a lot that was useful. And then I was making a lot of art, trying to kind of covertly sneak in and not really tell anyone that I'm autistic or that, you know, this is something that I'm trying to work through and realized that that I actually had ideas here and I had insights that could help people and that were helping me um, and that I needed to stop hiding. And so, yeah, that really led into, you know, and also looking at what are my strengths and how can I build a vocation around what is really going to work for me long term and so yeah that's led me to coaching other people through their own journey of who am I when I'm not (laughs) over adapting and being in reaction and trying to fit in yeah and so do you think there was any kind of specific milestones that popped up in your creative career that really led you to coach? I mean, it, sound, it sounds like to me, you you wanted to coach because you wanted to be what you didn't have and, and, and kind of wish you had. But was there any other kind of like milestone moments or experiences that you had along the way that went, no, I've definitely got to do this? Yeah, I think I was working a lot with performance as a medium to try and get to the sense of directness that I really like and the the kind of direct feedback loop of a live audience. And so I think, you know, realizing that 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 direct communication was something that I was seeking 
and that having an exhibition, inviting people to it just didn't give me that. That was a, a big part of it. Another was my own journey of trying to figure out my own path and, you know, Googling, YouTubing, trying to find the answers, trying to work out, is it just the right schedule or how do I need to, <laughs> how do I do this? Um, you know, a lot of the given work routes didn't really work for me, things like networking at private views and stuff like that. So I sought out coaches and had experiences with coaches and in their programs where all of those internal um, boundaries of or, or barriers that I'd learned around who I could and couldn't be and all of the masks and all of the, the reasons that I'd built up for why I didn't get to be myself or I didn't get to live the life I wanted or um, really got unraveled. And so, yeah, it was both the experience of, you know, uh, my own ex being coached, um, loving the the direct feedback that I started to do when I started hosting workshops and um, sharing my ideas. And so, yeah, in the beginning of the solar system, I wasn't calling it coaching. I wasn't seeing myself as a coach. It was kind of like, ew, coach, that's like a bit embarrassing. <laughs> There's a lot of um, social currency that comes with being an artist. There's a lot of freedom. And so, yeah, it was never an intentional move into a specific industry or out of one. It was more that this this started to feel really good and it started to feel right. And this way of um, re-encoding how we see the world and our, our material experience of it, it, it feels like the same work and it's just in a different medium. I love that. I love that. I, I think that's one of the things that I've 100% found through every single interview um, with all the people that, lovely people that have come and chatted with me, is that I, we often feel like, even though the world sees us as multidisciplinary or, you know, working across all of these different things, there's actually just this through line, which is ourselves and our, our heart and us trying to figure out how the hell we cope with who we are in this world yes but um before we before we go into the methods let's just dig in a little bit more into so who it is that, that you're that you're working with and and why they come to you I mean have you any kind of observations you've been doing it for three years now about why or from what background or creative medium even um the people you work with come from and and what are the challenges that you often find them dealing with yeah, so the people I'm working with are really, it's a really, really wide range of creative uh, vocations and mediums and, and and paths. Some of them it's, they've come to, um, yeah, so I work, I work with autistic folks, mostly late identified, mostly people who they love the um, recognition and acknowledgement that that label gives them, but aren't so much into the pathology paradigm and the the idea that there's something wrong with them doesn't feel so helpful. Um, a lot of them also are have other experiences of marginalisation, are trans or non-binary, or have collected other diagnoses like ADHD and so on. So that's who I'm working with, and it's often people who they've they've maybe done a lot of the research, they've done a lot of the what does this mean, uh, googling and social media. Yeah, 
saving all of the posts and all of that stuff. Um, but they're really then coming to a sense that, okay, but my life hasn't changed. And I know this, but the world doesn't hasn't caught up yet. And so how do I actually do this? How do I live my life? Um, so some of them, yeah, it's it's very recent after they've what you know self-diagnosed or had an official uh, piece of paper for others it's been a while and they've just been struggling or they've been unfairly dismissed or pushed out of a job or the access needs haven't been met and for others it's um yeah and I think for all of them they know that there's more in them they know that they're being called to create something that doesn't exist in the world be it you know, a, a new business or a project or a service or a book or some kind of vision that they have. And they're just really looking for, okay, but how? How do I do this? And how do I do this when uh, I know that it's going to mean me starting to advocate for myself, me starting to be who I am? And how do I actually be who I am? So, yeah, <laughs> that's who I'm. that's who I'm working with. That is the big question. That is the big question. And so on that point, um, let's let's get into the, the, the work that you do with your clients more deeply. How I'm interested because I think it kind of it, it probably goes without saying to a degree because you're autistic yourself that you've 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 made a process that works for people with minds that work in similar ways. However, is there anything that you've kind of very specifically adapted or or the, one of the ways in which you work that you feel is, you know, substantially different to quote unquote neurotypical coaching um, to, to cater to the neurodivergent and autistic folk that you work with. Yeah, absolutely. So coaching is a really new industry. Um, it's like only a few decades old. It's really developing really fast. Uh, and a majority of life coaching is really uh, mindset focused. So it's a lot of focus on what are you thinking and, and taking responsibility for how you're responding to your life. But I think what is really key for anyone who experiences any kind of marginalization, and particularly for those who are processing and perceiving differently and haven't had that acknowledged and affirmed, is really creating a space of safety. Safety to exist in whoever in whatever state you are in that moment on that day and so that that safety is it, it's partly about creating a um, an environment so I have a group program we have weekly coaching calls in those coaching calls that safety piece is really key in terms of access needs um so you know knowing that 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 is something that is a culture it's not just an add-on but also we do a lot of um you know somatic work grounding uh collective rituals so that that sense of inclusion and that sense of safety is felt in the body not just on a piece of paper or on a screen and then the other piece of safety is um acknowledging that the, the struggles that people have experienced are real. And that is such a key beginning piece before we can do mindset work, before we can start to take responsibility is just acknowledgement for the struggle and the pain. And that really is about looking at the systemic aspects of of it. So I think, uh, and the impact of those systemic uh, issues, which is trauma. 
So I think a big part of what, what I'm doing that is maybe slightly different is really emphasizing and bringing in that your body is to be believed that you are enough. And that's such a huge part of it. And when we feel that, when we are, are accessing that safety, some of the mindset stuff actually resolves itself. And just being able to, you know, have that as an experience in your body that you are feeling seen, that you're feeling acknowledged, that then creates the foundation that we can then work on. I think another aspect of it is, um, so context is a really important aspect of what uh, I think a lot of neurodivergent autistic ADHD folks need because we are processing differently because we um, are perceiving literally physiologically perceiving different a different reality so so much of our experiences are involving communication differences and people misunderstanding you people misreading you misinterpreting you and so really having a, a clear sense of you know am I being understood and we're being heard and that directness but also um the context for your own journey of self-development and this is why i love working in a group because um it's not a support it's not a support group it's not like uh, everyone's supporting each other it's lots and lots of parallel journeys of one-on-one coaching that happens in front of the group and so there's context building that happens when you're watching someone else get coached on issues that are super relevant that you have maybe shame around and that you're seeing someone experience and you're accepting them in that and that that sort of opens up your own self-acceptance around that same issue fascinating i'd never thought of group sessions in that context ironically yeah (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of support support groups and uh you know things that you can go to quite often a lot of them are free but i think having someone that is responsible for holding the space and also knowing that you aren't responsible for anyone else's journey a lot of us have have come to a place where we're people pleasing or we're putting other people's needs first so i get to be in a group and be selfish and I get to experience trust and empathy and uh, safety without having had to, you know, make friends or fit in or fulfill the brief of what some spaces require. Yeah. Fascinating. I think one of the things that that also made me think about is it, it's it's fundamentally kind of creating psychological safety for, for everyone that's there, which you know, it's different things for everyone, but it's interesting how you said um, kind of most coaching focuses on mindset, but as soon as you create psychological safety, a lot of those those issues disappear. And I just suddenly thought how much that could apply to everyone. Yes. yes. Literally everyone. Yeah. We're here going, oh, I need to fix how I'm thinking, yeah. what I'm doing. And in actual fa- fact, it's just that you're not in a space where yourself is you feel safe yeah and it's the mammal part of our our being right that is responding and that is perceiving that lack of safety and sometimes that safety is there but because we've experienced so much of a lack of safety we're not trusting it yet we're not and our bodies aren't relaxing into that that new experience of safety sometimes this experience of safety can actually feel unsafe 
sometimes we come to safety and we and it throws up a lot of what we're bringing of like what will people think or I must be too much or not enough or um and that also brings yeah with it the the chance to work on that but yeah 100% safety <laughs> would would resolve so much yeah I mean it's it, it I, I just immediately think about how many workplaces specifically could just make such a ginormous impact to all their employees which I think it was you know I think it's not it's not the newest thing in the world I think we all knew that um but especially within the context of neurodivergency which is you know wonderfully becoming a more and more important topic in the creative space specifically yeah it's just fascinating because one of the things that made me start the podcast was these stereotypes of what a creative person looks like and in the UK in the ad industry that's very often neurotypical white male who's very outgoing and funny and so on and so forth um, and it can be really difficult to to kind of battle with that when that's not who you are yeah. and it's it's so ironic because as I said earlier, most of the creatives that I work with are neurodivergent in one way or another. Like we totally, yeah. I don't know what the stats are on this, by the way, so like someone else can fact check that. But I have just, from experience, there is way more of us in the creative department than in any other area of the world that I've been in. Yeah, I mean, there were some statistics I read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the numbers slightly wrong, but it's something like uh, in terms of university courses 7% are neurodivergent on you know in general but when you go to the creative subjects it's at least 30% at least at least <laughs> if not way more I'm giving that we started on on uh, female neurodivergency and masking and how much it's affecting yeah. how we diagnose yeah um, yeah so it's, it's it's just it's just fascinating and it's so powerful and it's it's so lovely to hear that you're working with the the physical body in that space as well. I think, you know, there's increasing amounts of research that tells us what we already know, that we hold trauma in different ways, that uh, women are more likely to have autoimmune diseases because of stress and the way that we yeah. inside our bodies and how that affects our epigenetics and so on and so forth and this. That's... Yeah. Uh, a massive area that's being researched but I love that you're applying that and not and it's and it's it, you know as you said you've worked with neuroscientists you've, you've you've got that scientific backing but you're also just trusting how people feel which you know as you say as marginalized people it's just not something we get that often yes and it's also you know the the foundation of safety is is what means that we can access creativity and the strategic parts of our brain just to bring it back into what you know what your your podcast is about is those 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 skill sets are so much harder to access when we are worried about a job or we think that, that we're gonna fail a client i'm nodding a lot seems like that. i feel that in my soul <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. And so that's that's actually a great great segue. But one of the things that um, I obviously immediately went and did because you told me that you do with your clients um, was that you use the Gallup Strengths Finder with all of your clients. 
Can you just, for for everyone who has not immediately gone and done that, can you just top line what that is for us and, and, and why it is that, that you found that a really useful tool to use? Yeah, so it's it's one that I introduce later on in the in the process that people go through with me um, when it's much more about okay, how do you now re go back to your life, go back to the world from an you know and, and restructure it in terms of your strengths. And I think uh, the Gallup Strengths Finder, I found it a really useful tool. A lot of my clients have found it a really useful tool for thinking about what their strengths are that are coming from personality. And that isn't coming from a checklist of symptoms or things that they are necessarily rewarded for. Um, But that is, you know, and what I like about it is there's so much data that's gone into it. Millions and millions of people have taken this test and it gives you essentially there's 34 strengths and it just gives you uh, uh, the ordering that puts the, that, that you reflect right so what your strengths are and what order they are in um so it's like a deck of cards every card is equally weighted and everyone gets a top 10 and so your top 10 strengths would be the ones that are when you're living in that when you are working in your strengths you're energized and so i find it really useful because um a lot of my a lot of the people i work with are working in their weaknesses or over adapting so much that they don't get to live in their strengths and so it's just another way into, okay, what are the things that I've been through or what are the things about me that I do bring to the table? Um, and yeah, in a way that isn't about comparison necessarily, but is there are things we've overcome, there's insights that we have, there's ways of figuring things out, there's natural tendencies and just seeing it as like, ah, a list. Oh, cool. Okay. Now I can think about how do I build my work and how do I build a a vocation or start to emphasize them and then how do I look at the weaknesses because there's also obviously the end of the list down towards 34 where there are things where maybe you want to get support or maybe if you're finding that you've ended up in that role that actually it's giving you affirmation that no that's not where you're supposed to be there's there's other things to focus on. And this is such a like strategic, logic-minded question of me to ask. But do you find um, when people take the the Strengths Finder, is it ever is it surprising? Is it or is it really just kind of reassuring and validating what people already thought about themselves? I think generally there's a lot of reassuring and validation. Yes. That was 100% a selfish question. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I do think that's that's a trait of a lot of us is that we find it hard to hold positive things about ourselves true until we have this kind of scientific, some sort of support that comes from a third party. It's like you're third party verified to know what your personality is. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of my top strengths is futuristic another is ideation and those two were like I do have ideas about the future it's me (laughs) it's not just you know dreaming and being you know idealistic it's it's a strength yeah and it 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 can be so tricky to go am like especially when it comes to to idealism or or positive you're like going okay wait a minute maybe I just want to think this about myself yeah 
it's the story I'm telling myself about myself. No, actually, you are good at that. Yeah. And that's part of who you are and that's okay. So unsurprisingly, to me at least, mm-hmm. there's a pattern that you see in strategic thinking being a predominant trait. Yeah. Uh, it was two for me, for the no one that was wondering. Um, do you also notice anything about kind of, as you were saying, ideation, like creative um, related traits coming up in these reports or just in your observations of, of, of the the clients you're working with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to give a balanced view because I just attract creative people and that's who I want to work with. So they're all creative in some way and, and those are definitely the patterns that come up. But I think, you know, there's also possibly the element of when you haven't fit in or when you've struggled with the way things that are laid out in front of you and it doesn't work or you're having experiences in your body or your or your sensory experience that aren't reflected or affirmed from people around you of questioning everything and I think at the heart of creativity is questioning it's like pushing against it's this isn't everything it's being the the flying fish being able to see the water and so I think those two things go hand in hand in terms of what I learn um working with the neuroscientists who are really looking at embodiment but also uh yeah the autism researchers so Anna Remington at the Center for Research into Autism and Education has done a lot of work around how a lot around autistic strengths and finding that there is um extra we have a, a, a larger capacity for how much experience that we're processing so this won't come as a surprise to folks, and I and I I suspect there's a, a an element of ADHD which is doing this as well, which is that we're taking in more, we're processing more. There's a lot going on, but I think what that lends us to is a different way of processing and and making sense of that information. So it's not just that we're extrasensory; it's not just that we're hearing the fan and we can't concentrate on the conversation and there's visual stuff happening around us and we're being distracted it's also that this extra sensory means that we are um making sense through finding the connections between and the emergent patterns around us and so rather than processing the world in a linear fashion and a, and a piece a chunk by chunk fashion we are absorbing this kind of whole thing and then feeling and sensing where are the patterns, where are this, where are the, where are the emergent, uh, yeah, patterns or energy, or where is there some kind of system or structure uh, behind what I'm experiencing? Um, and this means that we like to deep dive, we like to go immersive, we like to go full tilt into uh, a particular subject or three at once, and um, yeah, and I think that. That seeking of connections between and and that sense of the energy um, lends itself to creative expression, to working with different mediums, to yeah, yeah totally. And so, um, you know, going going back to the the neuroscience research that you've been involved in, what what were the key things? Actually, it might just be worth just absolute just. Very, very, very briefly, if you can, top lining mm. what 
re- neuroscientific research of embodiment actually means <laughs> that actually might be a bit confusing. And yeah. I- so I spent a year with Manos Tsakiris and his department at the Royal Holloway um, in London. And he has something called the the lab, which is the lab of action and body. And his uh, understanding of embodiment is really what is me and what isn't me and how do we distinguish between the two. That would be a different understanding of, say, the field of trauma where embodiment is much more about I'm connected to me, I'm connected to other people, I'm connected to my environment. But yeah, from a from a neuroscience point of view, so he was doing a lot of work, um, actually a range of different work, but I zeroed in on certain certain things of, yeah, how do we know uh, what a self is? What does it mean to have a self? Who is the, what is the self? Um, and how do our senses interact with the world? And, and how do we make sense of who we are and who we aren't? I love how inherently philosophical, but also scientific that is that the same time i think i could yeah. have this forever but i think that's probably at least one whole episode so i won't go into that in depth now uh <laughs> now that we we we're all on the same page about what we're talking about 